and ready to go. Hot Mike with Hunt and Withrow underway on this Monday edition. Glad you're with us across the Outkick Network, which includes our YouTube page, streaming live there. You can search out Outkick. We hope you'll subscribe while you're there. You can also join us across many streaming platforms, including live at Outkick.com and on social, plus this great radio partner. Chad, a, a jam-packed show today. Uh, Guest-wise, Willie Colon will join us, former offensive guard of the Pittsburgh Steelers the and man. the New York Jets. Yeah, plenty of great stories and analysis of the NFL going into 2023 season coming up, plus a very special guest of Outkick, Charlie Arnold, joins us in hour number two. Uh, plenty to discuss with Elon Musk and Mark Zuckerberg and you know the hoax, as I've referred to it, as trying to fool everyone that they're actually going to fight. We'll get the details coming up from Charlie. Uh, plenty of headlines as well. Good afternoon. Good afternoon, Hutton. Um, I think we have the perfect judge's ruling for Charlie today based on an experience of mine on Friday afternoon. The experience I'm undergoing right now, you to a certain extent also, is I haven't stopped sneezing yeah. for 14 hours. It's been brutal. I've never experienced anything like this in my life. I have terrible allergies. I've never had – I feel like I have the hiccups of sneezes right now <laughs> that you can't get rid of. You need, you need I, I someone to scare you? I sneeze every 15 minutes. For the last 14 hours. I slept four hours last night because I would wake myself up sneezing. That's how bad it is. There is something in the air that is destroying me. That's just my precursor to the show today. But I'm going to soldier through. Hutton's going to soldier through. And we're going to give you three hours of an outstanding show starting right now. Jim Harbaugh let's start, leads let's start our over. headlines. Let's run the open again. Uh, now, yeah. now we're going to start. Okay, Jim Harbaugh at Michigan leads our headlines, Chad, because he is going to soldier through the entire season. He's avoiding suspension, at least for now, from the NCAA. Uh, the negotiated punishment is no longer on the table. Uh, it fell through, and not because Jim Harbaugh declined the offer. It's because the NCAA's Committee on Infractions did so. They threw in the towel. They're declining the deal. And the vice president of the NCAA that oversees this is Derek Crawford. He released this statement uh, over the weekend that Michigan infractions case is related to impermissible on and off campus recruiting during COVID-19's dead period and impermissible coaching activities, not a cheeseburger. It is not uncommon for the COI, the committee on infractions to seek clarification on key facts prior to accepting the COI may also reject uh, if it, it uh, the deal, if it determines that the agreement is not in the best interest of the association or the penalties are not reasonable if the involved parties cannot resolve a case through the negotiated resolution process, it may proceed to a hearing, but the committee believes cooperation is the best avenue to quickly resolve issues. That from Derek Crawford, uh, the vice president from the NCAA. Uh, cooperation is what has everyone ticked off with the NCAA about Harbaugh here. And Chad, it, it, it seems as though if he just doesn't point out the fact that this is, and, and push the the narrative that this is over a food thing instead of a practice and contact with recruits or players during COVID-19 and pushing the, the opposite end of whatever they've been talking about behind closed doors, that they end up settling this over a one-month period against Michigan's schedule, which is not impressive for those four, those four games he would be missing. Now it appears that the NCAA is going to come after him again next year and that's where we see uh, the infractions meet the discipline, which could also mean Harbaugh's out 
at Michigan headed towards the National Football League. What do you think? Well, so Derek with the NCAA said it's not uncommon for this. Let me tell you what is uncommon. For the NCAA to release such a biting comment on anything. I mean, I, I can never recall a time where the NCAA has commented on media reports in a pissed-off fashion about something. This is not about a cheeseburger. Do you know who has pushed that narrative? Everyone who covers the University of Michigan has pushed that this whole thing comes down to they asked Jim Harbaugh who paid for the burger for a recruit, and he said he didn't know. This is about much more than just that. Now, we can sit here and go back and forth on what power does the NCAA have? What is this? I'll tell you this. Tennessee was accused of a lot of the same stuff. It is not just impermissible benefits or money or a cheeseburger. COVID-19 dead period violations. Not to say that Michigan and Tennessee were the only two to violate this, but Michigan got caught. The difference here is Tennessee turned into the most cooperative witness in the history of the NCAA and fired Jeremy Pruitt and the entire staff. Michigan and Jim Harbaugh would not answer direct questions, played little games with the NCAA, and Michigan decided to do nothing to Jim Harbaugh other than what was a begrudgingly accepted four-game self-imposed suspension for Harbaugh that Harbaugh didn't want, and he made that clear at Big Ten Media Days that he didn't want to do this. <clears throat> well, now the NCAA comes back and says, not good enough. What I take that as, if Michigan goes forward and he coaches every game this year, he will be suspended for an entire season the following year. The more likely scenario is he goes to the NFL, that he's not even going to mess with it, that he will coach one more year at Michigan and go to the NFL. And he's flirted with that the last two years. That's my prediction. And he, sa he says that he's got 20 players that are going to be in the NFL next year that are on his roster. Um, this could be setting all the all of that up, Chad. Absolutely. And now we see about the NCAA doing even more investigating behind the scenes with everything. Crazy story with Michael Orr, whose story, uh, backstory from Ole Miss high school to college, becoming a first-round pick, the blind side, with Sandra Bullock and, and Tim McGraw. We've all seen it. It grossed $300 million plus. He filed in Shelby County, Tennessee today, looking for an injunction, claiming that he was never adopted by Sean and Leanne Tui. Yes, you're hearing that right. When you see the headline, you do a double take. The central element of the blindside story, he says, is a total lie concocted by the Tuies to enrich themselves on his overall story and his, uh, his success with this film. They... So th he says that the couple tricked him into signing this document that made them the conservator of all of his finances and worked out all of the deals on the table as soon as he turned 18 years old. Of course, they took him in to their home, and he's a part of their family uh, in high school. And upon turning 18, he signs this document believing that that was the document that officially made him a part of the family, that he was adopted into the, the family, the immediate family. Turns out that he found out this past February that that was not the case, that he had never been legally adopted. And now he's looking to go back and say, we want to file an injunction. We want to stop 
any and all benefits that they have using my name, image, and likeness, which would be uh, the, the money coming in from the, the film, and that they made millions off of this, both of them plus their, their birth children, which is also mentioned here. Crazy. And to think that he signed this in eight, at 18, he's 37 now. I'm adopted. And I'm 39. I'm trying to think, okay, if, and, and I was adopted very soon after birth. But if I had to sign this document at 18 and finding out now that nothing legally through the court system is actually valid, I can't wrap my mind around what he must have felt when he found that out, allegedly found this out in February, according to his attorney. And they've been profiting off of the conservatorship, which is, reminds me of like a Britney Spears element to this. Well, and, and there's some in the story about they explain the conservatorship as just legalese as adopting him, that this is the way we adopt you is by doing this. And that that was, I guess, tricking him that way. Um, if they took all the profits from the movie, I mean, that's not, not right. The royalties, yeah. Yeah, if they negotiated, I think the report was 2.5% of all profits from then on out, he got none of that, then, then none of that is right. I, well, I just, and the legal, the business benefits that they had the ability to sign in his name. Yeah. You know? I just, Hutton, I feel like it's got to be a meet-in-the-middle type truth to this. I, I think there's probably some truth on both sides. I, I'm hard-pressed to believe everything Michael Orr's saying, and I, I'm probably going to be hard-pressed to believe everything the Tui's are saying about it also. They probably did take some liberties somewhere around along the way. It's crazy because, in thinking about this story, this would not be as big of a story if Sandra Bullock did not do such a good job in the movie. The movie was nominated for an Oscar, and she won an Oscar for Best Actress. I'm just thinking about if this was just another random run-of-the-mill movie yeah. that wasn't a big deal, that wasn't great, this would not be as big of a story. And I, it sounds funny, but I'm being serious. Sandra Bullock did too good of a job in this movie that made everybody believe that it was this just overwhelming Christian-type story of giving and generosity and taking this young man in. But if you watch it with a cynical eye, and I am a cynic, I watch it and think, man, they, they didn't do this for a lot of kids who weren't five-star football recruits. And this kid did end up at their alma mater at Old Miss. And man, this movie is really good. I'm not saying they took him in knowing they're going to make a movie about this kid one day and he's going to make millions. But right. again, I think the truth is somewhere in Ends the Ends up becoming a first round pick, right? Like all of that plays into this. Uh, and this goes, so, uh, or uh, Michael Orr was briefly in Nashville. And whenever he signed here, I remember at his locker, he was kind of pissed off about the fact that questions were coming in, still coming in about the, the blind side. And he was saying, like, I, I really don't like how I was portrayed in this. Um, he said, there, there's been so much created from the blind side that I'm grateful for, which is why you might find it as a shock that the experience surrounding the story has also been a large source of some of my deepest hurt and pain over the last 14 years. This is through his book. Uh, beyond the details of the deal, the politics, the money behind the book and movie, it was the principle of the choices some people made that cut me the deepest. And what he's asking for, he's, he's going through the finances, 
and any money that was earned through his his name, he wants to receive his fair share of the compensation that allegedly the Tuies took, and he didn't. I'm fascinated by this. Well, he also says that the movie depicted him as unintelligent and dumber than he actually was and is, and that he fought that stigma throughout his career, that people treated him like he was stupid because of how he's portrayed in the movie. Yeah, and your stereotypical feel-good story is what it turned into, right, with the, the happy ending. Uh, but he was not happy with, with how the film came out. And, and I, and I and also, the, I didn't watch that movie. I mean, look, you're going to watch yourself with a critical eye if someone's portraying you. I didn't watch that movie and think Michael Orr was dumb. I right. thought he hasn't been properly schooled, and he had a really rough upbringing. I never thought he was you know, naturally stupid or anything. And the Baltimore Ravens clearly didn't think that because they drafted him in the first round. He was a two-time All-American at Ole Miss, so he did a pretty good job overcoming that stigma if, in fact, it was there. Chad, uh, the awareness has, has been out there about human trafficking, but Tim Tebow is, is raising uh, more awareness, sounding the alarm about the magnitude of human trafficking that can go on in our own backyards. He joined Dan Dockich earlier today uh, to spread further concern and, and the word about how we all have to be cognizant of what's going on, not just... Uh, in other countries, but right here in the United States. And that he's certainly doing this on and tying into Swamp Kings, which will debut August 22nd, Untold Swamp Kings, which is detailing that two national title runs in three years from 2006 to 2008. Here is Heisman Trophy winner Tim Tebow discussing Swamp Kings with Dan. I talked to Urban the other day about Swamp Kings. He said it's going to be, you know, he's looking forward to it, thinks it's going to be dynamic, thinks it's going to be great. I, I admired you and your teams. Give me your thoughts as uh, the Netflix, which I think is going to rival the last dance, Michael Jordan's. Give me your thoughts on what you're expecting uh, out of Swamp Kings. I don't know exactly. I, um, I think probably really entertaining. I think um, in the storyline of, of what we got to live through, there's just so many highs and lows. Um, and I think um, just the, the storylines of that is, um, is teams at, at the top, is disappointing losses, is relationships, um, is um, a brotherhood, is um, just a, a really special time that's um, full of a lot of great memories. Um, but I'm intrigued to see how it how it all turns out as well. Um, but I do think people will be entertained, and I think it'll be something that is um, hopefully intriguing for a, a lot of people. Um, but I, when I think back about it, I just am so grateful for the friendships, the mentors, the relationships, the the brothers, um, and then also the the platform that that time gave me to be able to do what we're doing now and and trying to make it an impact for so many people that need it. So. Um, you know, I, I hope it'll be um, uh, something that people will enjoy. You can check out the full interview online through the YouTube page. Just search out Outkick. Great uh, job there by Dan. Don't at me mornings here across the Outkick Network. Chad, he can say everything about the camaraderie and the brotherhood. I'm viewing this through the lens of all the craziness that took place and the different personalities, individuals, characters that were in that locker room at the same time in the same time span. That is what makes Swamp Kings worth watching to me with the intrigue going in not the you know uh, if we wanted it from the Tebow end of this it would be untold Tim Tebow and Swamp Kings has to be much better 
uh, and, t and detailing the backstories of the good and more specifically the bad. Yeah, it'd be about the, the five times that he got guys to go to Sunday school with him uh, on the team if it was told from Tim Tebow's perspective, which is fine. And I, I mean this as a compliment to Tim right. Tebow. Um, Tim Tebow deflected a lot of bad stuff from that team. So I want to see if they get into the fact that Tebow, as the superstar and a great guy and a great Christian dude, how much did he shield what was a very, very bad boy locker room? We'll see if they discuss it in the documentary. I can't wait to watch Crazy it. Crazy dynamic from one end of the spectrum to the other. Willie Colon joins us, former NFL offensive guard. That's next on Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow across the Outkick Network. Sixth and Peabody, our location with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. Hot Mike with Hutton Withrow rolls on across the Outkick Network. Glad you're with us. If you're watching on YouTube, you can join Chad in the chat. Already busy. Chad's chatting away right now. Royce in the chat has just hijacked the whole thing early. We've got a <laughs> Royce is back. We might need to nuke him at some point. We'll have uh, Matty Ice monitor that situation. You but can other monitor. than that, uh, you uh, can join the conversation there. Just search out Outkick. Hope you'll subscribe while you're there. It's active. Hit us up on Twitter too. Hopefully, uh, Willie Colon joins us in a, in a couple of minutes here. Former offensive guard, uh, full of some great stories about Big Ben. Uh, with the Steelers, of course, his short time with the Jets, and overall, big storylines across the NFL. Zach Martin has agreed to a uh, a new extension with the Dallas Cowboys, so that holdout is ending. Jonathan Taylor is back with the Colts. Details on all of that coming up. Uh, how about the, the James Harden calling out 76ers president Daryl Morey, who was also the former general manager of the Houston Rockets, and who had an, an a great relationship with Harden um, up until the point where he left the organization in Houston, took out a full page ad in the Chronicle. And in his statement, it was a, a photo above the statement. It was Maury and Harden. Whenever he really uh, had the, the goodbye farewell in, in the paper um, this past weekend, while in China, James Harden goes all in on Daryl Morey, Chad, call him a liar, and doubles down on it uh, in front of uh, those that are in attendance for a special Adidas brand thing in, in China. And I, I think well, he's calling him a liar because of the fact that he wants to be traded. He wants out. And he picked up the option, a $35 million-plus option for this upcoming season, with that in mind. He wants to go to the Clippers. Morey... And, upwards of three hours ago, says that's not going to happen. They're, they maintain the stance that he's unmoved by uh, the comments and he's holding firm in his stance that he will not trade him unless, you know, they get a, a better team. Uh, it's, a, it's a fascinating dynamic that he does this in China when Mori in 2019 had the tweet supporting Hong Kong. And that caused an uproar with the NBA because one of their own dared to, you know, support those that were not in favor of Chinese politics. Well, it is comical that these statements are coming while in China uh, about Daryl Moore with a shoe company. Um, look, I mean, yeah, he probably does appear to be a liar to James Harden because I'm sure he told him just sign the the option and I'll get you traded. And what Maury failed to tell him was. 
we're not uh, we're in the business of doing business. Yeah, we're an NBA team. We want to get the most possible that we can, and we got a, a stiff asking price. So if we don't get that, you're not going to get traded. That's what he didn't tell him. That's what's happening now. No one's meeting their demands on what they want for Harden. So now Harden's pissed, and look, understandably so. But Daryl Morey's got a job to do, and the job is for the 76ers, not disgruntled James Harden. No doubt. Pleased to be joined by Willie Colon, SiriusXM host on Channel 82. Morning, men. Super Bowl champion as well with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Also play with the Jets. Great perspective headed our way. Willie, great to have you on, man. Hope things are well. All is well. Thanks for having me, guys. No doubt. I want to get to the NFL in a moment, but uh, let, let's let's crank it up a bit. Was was the, the S-Bar era on Carson Street the greatest era of bar hopping? And if so, why? Man, it was it was legit. It was probably uh, better than Beale Street. It's probably better than Bourbon Street in its prime. Um, there was a lot going on, on at, at the S Bar. Man, I was I was fortunate to uh, have a lot of cold one dance with a lot of beautiful women, and uh, <laughs> on top of that, meet a lot of celebrities. I mean, I remember I met Bubba Sparks. I met Michael Moore. Uh, the, the, a lot of random, randoms, random celebrities I had an opportunity to drink with. So it was it was a good time. Did you have a chance to drink or party with a priest in one of those uh, uh, visits to Nashville at, at one point, the city that we're broadcasting out of right now? Yeah, I see you've been talking to Ramon Foster. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yes, I had a great time in Nashville with a priest. Shout out to Father Paul. I love him to death. Uh, <laughs> we, had a, we had a good old time. I'll leave it there. <laughs> that, that will stay in the confession, uh, no doubt. <laughs> right. Willie Colon, our guest. Um, Zach Martin just... Uh, just word coming down now he's ending the holdout he's returning to the Dallas Cowboys I didn't know how this was going to end turns out he gets an extension what do you make of it it's upwards of what it's a two-year 36 million dollar I believe and just just glanced at it during the last commercial break um, are you surprised that it ended the way it did or did you think he was going to demand a trade no, I'm not. I'm not surprised. I mean, Zach Martin's going to go down as one of the best guards to play this game. I'm, I'm a big fan of his work and what he's been able to do in this league. I think Jerry knew if, if they was going to have a chance, they was going to have to have some stability in the offensive line. Um, you could put, you say what you want about Dak Prescott's play and, and and all the surrounding parties around him, but but the offensive line for the Dallas Cowboys is pivotal. And I know it's probably cliche to say, but Zach Martin has been playing at a high level for a long time. He does not only brings leadership but grip. Extremely tough. And he's probably he's one of the best to do in the league right now at his age. So I think Jerry's smart. We like to consider him a smart businessman, and he had to make sure one of his best players on that offense was uh, satisfied. And I think he did so. Eight-time All-Pro, you know, like that speaks for itself from Zach Martin. And he was the he was the pick, by the way, Chad. We're talking a lot about Johnny Manziel recently with the Untold uh, Johnny Football uh, documentary on Netflix. He was the player the Cowboys selected instead of Manziel in that draft. Mm -hmm. Willie Colon, our guest here on Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow. Uh, best Steelers season other than the Super Bowl era, uh, Super Bowl run for you, which one would you point to and why if you're telling a story? Well, I, I think the, we didn't end well and I didn't I didn't begin well because I ended up getting hurt that season, but I think our 2010 year when we made that run to the Super Bowl in Dallas uh, and we, we kind of fell to the demise of Aaron Rodgers and that Green Bay team who was a very good team. Um, but I think overall that defense that I had a chance to play with again, um, they they with this they played a different brand of football. I was used to playing bully football. That was kind of the mantra of our team. But we they looked to break the wheel of every team they played against. Um, and then have some of the guys we had, you know, you're talking about a, a young Antonio Brown. I think uh, Mike Wallace was there. 
Um, Antoine Randall had came back and played with us. So we had, and Hines Ward was there. So we had a list of Rashad Mendehall for Christ, or Mendehall for Christ's sakes. Yeah. So we had, we had a very good team, a very storied team, a very decorated team on both sides of the football. And, uh, you know, it was, it was tough for me because I ended up getting hurt that year. But overall, I enjoyed that that outfit. And that was a young Marquise Pouncey had just stepped into the building. So we had a very good young, from top to bottom, very good solid football team. Well, I'm glad you mentioned Aaron Rodgers because I will tie this into a follow-up about Aaron Rodgers. But it always helps because your job as an offensive lineman is to help protect the quarterback when you have a good relationship with the quarterback. What was Big Ben like as a teammate for you guys and someone that you wanted to protect? You know, he he was awesome. I, I you know, it's funny. We we started off a little rocky, me and him, um, but we ultimately ultimately ended like brothers. Um, I love him to this day. You know, when you look at his podcast and clips from his podcast, you know, he's he's popping beers, eating donuts, got shades on. He's having a good time. You can tell he's enjoying uh, retirement. But that's the Ben I grew to love and knew behind the curtain when he wasn't in the building, kind of winning games for the Pittsburgh Steelers and uh, being the Superman we know he could be. He was he was fun. He was loving. He he was he was a guy that he was a guy you wanted to have a beer with. You know, he's he, he loves to hunt and fish and a family man through and through. But we. We grew up together. I think that's what a lot of people don't understand during my time with the Steelers. You know, Ben is only a year or two removed from me. Um, and we, we, were, we were like brothers. We ate, we drank, we woke up, we hung out, we did everything together. So when I call him my brother, it's not really cliche because we we did everything kind of like a pack. You know, we, we did everything together. So um, and we grew up together. We started off as, you know, young men, if, so to speak. And we left as men uh, and with families. So it, it, was, it was he was awesome. Well, you were also a New York Jet, and that gets to my follow-up on Aaron Rodgers. Willie, I think one of the big surprises of Episode 1 of Hard Knocks for a lot of people was just how likable Aaron Rodgers was around his team. And even the footage of some guys, sort of candid Cameron-style uh, linemen saying, man, he's one of the all-time greats, and dude is awesome, too. He's fun to hang out with. I enjoy talking to him. Uh, is that what you've heard about Aaron Rodgers for the most part? And what do you think about the impact he and that type of personality could have in that Jets locker room? Well, I think Aaron Rodgers is extremely smart. I think he's cerebral. I think he understands what the media and how the media portrays him. He had to go into step into New York, not only the locker room, but step into the city and realize that he kind of had to win them over. And when he, he did so in, in a great fashion. He ate the pizza. He shook the hands. He kissed the babies. He was in Knicks games. He showed up in Yankee games. He was at Taylor Swift, Taylor Swift concerts. Um, he's done everything right, landing into the city that pretty much will break you down to your knees uh, with all eyes on him, so to speak. And I think right now, when you look at Aaron Rodgers, I think he's the ultimate professional. And I'm not surprised the young guys have grown a liking to him because they probably played with him a million times in Madden. This is a generation that loves video games, and they watched him be, you know, all-world Aaron Rodgers in the video game. So now they're seeing him in real, in real time and as a real person. And I think they're in all of them. It, much like what I dealt with when, I, when I'm my time with the uh, Jets, my second year with the Jets, Michael Vick walked into that locker room. And I can remember seeing the look on guys' faces. They couldn't believe that was the Michael Vick that had played in video games with. They wore their jerseys. They grew up wearing, putting on sneakers of his and, and everything that Michael Vick had to offer. They, they, they were about him and his brand. Um, and, I, and I can remember our locker room taking a week or two just to realize, like, he's really our teammate now. He's not the guy in the video game. He's not the guy they see in the Nike commercials. He's not the guy that they see all over the place with a celebrity. 
he's a real person trying to help the New York Jets win a football game. And it was hard for a lot of the guys in the locker room after a year or two, uh, a week or two, excuse me, to realize that it took Michael Vick, kind of what Aaron Rodgers has done is to come to them, to have lunch with them, to, you know, walk around practice and to hang around after practice with them. He had to break the mold. And I think that's what Aaron Rodgers has done. He's broken the mold and the young guys in, in that locker room have uh, pretty much brought in. Former Steeler, former Jet, current Sirius XM host Willie Colon, our guest here on Hot Mike. You mentioned the media in New York City. I laughed when people would say, man, Aaron Rodgers is going to get eaten alive by that New York media. And I'm thinking Aaron Rodgers has been covered nationally throughout his entire career. I don't think the New York media is going to be what breaks him down. But you, you've been there. You've been a part of that, that media circus with the Jets. If you can, Willie, kind of compare and contrast being on the Pittsburgh Steelers for so long and the way that team is covered versus the way you were covered as a New York Jet. Well, as a Pittsburgh Steelers, Steeler, uh, we won a lot of games. And anything that happened away from the Steeler locker room that maybe maybe too you know risky well, was pretty much slapped off the table. You know, the Rooney's had a great control of the image uh, of what was to be portrayed by us. And on top of that, we knew better. And on top of that, the city helped us kind of be young men and responsible young men. Um, and I think we also, it was Mike Tomlin who really in that locker room flat out said, don't be the guy. You know, don't be the guy that's going to put your name or this team or your family at jeopardy of being in a situation that can't get out of. So it was always kind of on loop as a ball player in Pittsburgh that, listen, there's there's work to be done. There's a standard. If you don't want to be part of our standard, you're not going to be there. And the media, for the most part, being a small city, those guys really didn't look to get us. You know, they, they didn't, I didn't feel like they would look to, at least me, that's how I felt. I didn't, they didn't look like to, it didn't seem like they had a, um, an aim to kind of pick at you or kind of break you down. And New York's different. It's a different animal, man. They, they go to bed with you and they wake up with you. So whatever you did in the street, you, they're going to find out about it. They're going to find out who you went, what you ate, and what car you drove in. So they're all in here. And the players here, for the most part, it's hard, especially if you come from a small town, or if you come from a small market, or you're just not used to the big city lights. It can be challenging. And I tell a lot of guys, especially in the New York market, man, just be careful. Not that you have to run away from the media. Don't give the media that power. Don't let them be the, you know, so to speak, the, the villain. Uh, they're projected as a villain. They live up for that. But if it's for you, the ball player, just to be on your P's and Q's and understand that somebody's always watching, whether you're in the building or out of the building, and just be a professional and treat people with respect and go about your business. Willie Cologne, our guest. Willie, we've got about a minute left, but you you know firsthand from the 2010 season, Big Ben is suspended, uh, and the backup role at the quarterback position and how that played into to that run. There are a lot of backup jobs up for grabs right now in the preseason. What what would you be watching for uh, with the storylines, headlines out there, uh, with the backups eyeing for the a backup role that could ultimately make or break a season for a team? I try to tell everybody, your number two quarterback is just as important as your number one because this is an injury-driven league, right? And guys go down left and right. Look at Joe Burrow dealing with a calf, yep. right? You know, everybody's looking at him trying to say when he's going to come back. Your number two quarterback has to be on par, just as close to the offensive line, uh, knows his job just as well as the number one. So for me, I look at Zach Wilson, to be honest with you. I'm going, and I know I'm kind of being a homer here, but this is a guy who went through a lot in his first two or three seasons with the Jets. Now he has Aaron Rodgers, and you tell by the hard knocks, he's forced to learn, he's hearing verbiage, and he's seeing things that maybe he didn't see or wasn't taught to see. Now he gets to sit back and watch Aaron Rodgers go about his business. But there's a chance, believe it or not, I know it's hard to say, Aaron Rodgers may get hurt, right? It's sure. football. No what doubt. are you going to do? 
That number two has to be ready. All hands are on deck for this New York Jets team. This defense is really good. This offensive line is coming along. They have a lot of pieces on the outside. The one thing that hold, hold this team back is the quarterback position. So if you're Zach Wilson, there's no room for you to say, Aaron has it. Let him do what he's going to do. He promised a Super Bowl. Let's go win a Super Bowl. He has to work just as hard getting the building just as early as Aaron does and prepare because his number may be called at any given moment. Willie, this has been great, man. Let's do this again soon uh, and catch up once things get rolling in appreciate September. You, appreciate you. I, I appreciate it. Stop talking to Ramon. <laughs> <laughs> Will do. Thanks, Willie, Willie Cologne uh, has been our guest. Check him out on SiriusXN. Coming up, Trev Alberts, the AD at Nebraska, with a bold prediction about the future of college sports. Charlie Arnott will join us in about 40 minutes from right now. Hot Mike with Hutton and Withrow rolls on across the Outkick Network, which includes our YouTube page. Hope you'll subscribe while you're there and support the great radio partner that you may be listening to. Chad, uh, coming up, we'll get into Lane Kiffin and opportunities for coaches, uh, minority coaches coming up through the ranks. That's in about 20 minutes from right now. Uh, the AD at the school you know very well, Nebraska. Trev Alberts is uh, having a, a bold prediction, and I, I mean, I, I think it's also favorable to anyone that's been keeping up with realignment and expansion, um, saying that it, unless you're a conference that embraces change, you're going under. I'm paraphrasing a bit here with what he said, but uh, I, I don't disagree with the quote where he says history, history has not been kind, right? To those that have not had the courage to expand. I don't believe it's done. It's never been done, talking about conference expansion. It's more likely than not that there will be continued periods of angst. I believe that the next go-around, that's my basic conclusion, there will be far more disruptive than anything we're currently engaged in. We need to prepare ourselves mentally for that. Uh, that, uh, according to, uh, from Alberts to the, the Lincoln Journal star, uh, discussing things for the upcoming season for Nebraska, but also what's on the horizon for Nebraska because certainly they have great interest in what's happening on the college football landscape and beyond. Um, this seems obvious. He's alluding to the super conference, is he not? And something we'll dive into a bit further tomorrow. Yeah, and I don't know. Um, David Hookstead, who wrote the story at OutKick, made the immediate correlation to the ACC, which is understandable because they're the only one that's not either being raided or adding. Right, Pac-12 is no more because they got raided. Big 12 adding, Big 10 added, SEC staying put for now, but added Oklahoma and Texas recently. Um, but that's not to say that the ACC wouldn't add if there was a value-add proposition. Well, they've tried. They've tried yeah. and they can't. I mean, I think everyone would if they could lure someone in worth it. But those who voted... But you, what you don't want to do also is just add for the sake of adding... Because then your current schools are thinking, well, they're not offering enough value to give us more money down the line, so why would we give up part of our share to someone else that doesn't do that? So well, the, the, I, I agree with Trev Alberts, Hutton, but there's really only two conferences right now in a position to truly add some big-time brands. That's Big Ten and SEC. Even though Big 12 has done it, they did it because the Pac-12 was a wounded animal. And they just went about delivering the kill shot yeah, and adding those that were already wanting out anyways. It's not like they can go and get Notre Dame. But the thing about the ACC, like what 
Alberts is saying is, if for those who lack courage to expand, all but four schools, four programs voted in favor of adding Cal and Stanford, and two of the four that voted no were Clemson and Florida State. So you know those who want more from the media share don't want to add teams if it's going to bring the profits down because you're spreading it out more. NC State, North Carolina were the other two, but you know there was a push for Notre Dame to try to get Cal and Stanford, and those were the four reported schools who said no. So it's it, they're in a different category because they're trying to do it, but they also have the dissension uh, with programs that are likely on the move if they could be on the move right now, right? Uh, like yeah. Clemson and Florida State lead that list for any for the Big Ten or the SEC now. I don't like Trev Alberts using the word courage to describe what's going on here. You know, those who lack the courage to expand. This has nothing to do with courage. It's about opportunity and money. And that those are the ones that, that add because they're taking advantage of an opportunity and they're offering a lot of money because they're in a position to make a lot of money. Not that it's the wrong thing to do, but it's, not, it's less about courage and more about opportunity. So what he's saying is right – but that's not to say the ACC would not add some big-time brands if they were in a position to do so. Yeah. But the only two conferences people are sprinting towards right now are Big Ten and SEC. So if you don't have an invite or an opportunity there, you're probably staying put or joining the Big 12 out of necessity the way we saw Arizona, Arizona State, Utah, Colorado end up doing. The bad thing, though, about the ACC is – when they have these votes, if you think about the votes that were made in the Big Ten or the SEC, um, even Texas A&M, when it came time to vote, voted the way of expansion. And you now have a situation where you have at least four schools that are voting no. Reported, they needed 12 of the 15 in order to make it official that Cal and Stanford could join. They can't have the consensus. They can't even have the, the near consensus, which is necessary. That's the big difference with the ACC compared to the other Power Four right now is when these votes are held, by and large, it's a unanimous across-the-board yes before they even called a vote. And in this case, it was not. That's where it's really going to come back to bite them because no one can agree on anything based on the money distribution. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but they were only voting on them as full members in all sports. I did not read a report about what I had mentioned, which would be the better <coughs> solution, football yeah. only. They didn't do that. I believe you're they right. They voted all yeah. sports. So I get it. I get it if you're the ACC and you're thinking, if a football-only thing, smaller share, and then they could go join another conference and every other sport and have a share of that conference also, then I'd be willing to play ball. But a, a full share for every sport and the travel associated with it, I can understand not, not necessarily wanting that. I was hoping this was going to start a trend, that they would join in football only, and then we'd see other decisions – for regionality purposes, uh, rivalry purposes, whatever, where you would have more football-only type decisions with only the football program joining certain conferences. And it's, uh, it's also interesting to note, NC State and North Carolina voting together within that conference as the, the statewide programs. That, that Just keep an eye on that. Chad, um, speaking of the Pac-12, though, maybe Stanford and Cal did not lean into that idea only because – They've now, along with Oregon State and Washington State, the four that remain, they've hired uh, Oliver Luck as a consultant to the conference. 
They're trying every last-ditch effort to stay relevant and stay alive as part of the Power Five. And Oliver Luck has a background in so many different areas, uh, pro sports, uh, consulting in, in different companies, of course, the tie to Stanford with his son, Andrew. Um, this is an interesting move as he is going to be the negotiator behind the scenes, it seems, bringing other schools to the Pac-12 instead of the Pac-12 dissolving with the remaining four joining a different conference. They want schools like SMU, Tulane, and others to come to them in order to stay afloat. It's, I still shake my head at it's it. It's survival. Yeah, it, it, there's nothing. There's no thriving late. in the Pac-12. It's they all needed, about survival. They needed luck in the mix well before now. Well, speaking of survival, what's George Klyavkov doing right now? Negotiating his buyout? Well, I'm, so that's... I, a, I mean, he has been silent. And look, I don't think anybody wants to hear from him. He is the commissioner behind the downfall of a proud 108-year-old conference. But they're hiring Oliver Luck. No word from Klyavkov. He's not in on conference calls anymore. Well, I mean, every news tidbit that comes out about the conference is awful for him. Uh, even the one through front office sports, where the Pac-12 uh, reportedly rejected from ESPN a $30 million per school annual offer uh, back in 2022. By the way, th those were the school presidents, though. He presented that deal yep. to them, and they voted it out. But not, he, not him. He, but he's the one that's pre, he's the one. He's the one that's in charge of trying to sell it, it to, to the them. table. Yeah, and you don't bring it to the table unless it's you know a deal that you know is going to pass. If if you're a conference commissioner, the best or, ones or don't you're do good that. enough at selling it to everyone and telling them that. But my guess is he probably they said this looks okay, but can you get better? And he said yes, we can do better. And when he did worse, but they countered, that's when everyone left. They countered with $50 million instead of 30 Yeah, 30 to 50 is a big leap. Yes. Uh, and then, you know, that's a bit more than whatever Apple was offering, which is what, a 25 was the minimum? 23, the, the floor of this I, I think, offer that was there but it no longer is? Look, I think school president, again, it, w it was the school presidents, to be technical, that voted no right. and to counter with 50 on the ESPN offer, but... When you have a good, strong commissioner, those school presidents just listen to what they say and they sign off on but what the they do. But the commissioner also listens to the presidents, though. Like, think about it's it. It's back and forth, but I'm saying in look a media from, deal, look at it from if your you mark. trust your commissioner, you, you go to them and they say, all right, George, shoot us straight here. What do you think? And if George says, given the current landscape, we're not doing any better than this 30, then they probably would have signed off on it. I don't think he said that. I think he said we can do better. And he failed. And, and the chase of better. revenue, for sure. Yeah. But, but also consider, like, from your mark, like, even from the, the expansion, it has been wi widely reported and no denial that your mark is in love with UConn. They just added four schools, and UConn wasn't even brought up in terms of the media reporting and coverage of this. It was straight Pac-12. Your mark knew what was going to pass and what wouldn't. He knew what, what he needed to present and how much of a struggle that would be, or at least assume that the other programs are voted straight through. And he looks like, you know, the king currently of the non-Big Ten SEC commissioners. And it's because what he presented and what he sold was one that he knew would be favorable to every position in the Big 12. Meanwhile, Klyavkov is doing the opposite of that and what feels like a weekly basis, regardless of what branch of the tree we're trying to discuss whether it's a media deal, expansion, you know, the whole San Diego State thing was a debacle. How they didn't 
see Colorado bouncing or any of the others for that matter after seeing what USC and UCLA did? Yeah, I mean, if Colorado's leaving, you know Oregon is. You know Washington is. There was just no foresight there. Well, or at least that's the that, perception, and perception is reality. Well, because of that, George Klyavkov is apparently in witness relocation program right now. Well, but we haven't seen or heard from him. All we know from the Pac-12 is they've hired Oliver Luck, their future commissioner, to do his bidding for him now. If they stay alive, their future commissioner. While right? the commissioner is still technically employed. Yeah, maybe they can't afford the buyout. <laughs> well, again, I, I think there's probably lawyers at play here that are negotiating something for him to leave. What, what are the other schools that they're mentioning? I, I saw where it is, Tulane and SMU. It's not the full Mountain West list that was a Boise State. Boise's from, yeah. San Diego State. Um, Tulane. Yes. Was Wyoming a part of it? I don't think so. I didn't see. I don't recall seeing their name. Yeah, I, I remember. I'm trying to remember how New Mexico. That sounds I think right. it was one because I remember just looking at the logos. Like a list of, here's your new Pac-12, if they had their way, of what they could get. And it was New Mexico, San Diego State, Rice, Boise State, Rice. And Fresno. There you go. And Rice would give them a sizable market in Houston, but what portion of the Houston market does Rice really command? Not a big one. So this from, let's see who's, who wrote this. Uh, Stuart Mando. If the Pac-4 stays put, expands, Here's a potential lineup on the field in academics. Stanford, Cal, Oregon State. Uh, we've got Washington State, San Diego State, Boise, Fresno, SMU, Tulane, and Rice. Probably around $10 million a year for TV rights. But it gets the fifth college football playoff spot at birth at most years. No, no East Coast travel. And then you wait on 2025 for the Mountain West schools to have the media rights still up. That's when they're previous contract ends and then you can pick and choose who you would like just like the big 12 did to the pac 12 that's much easier said than done uh, that's not even a life raft you know you're just trying to keep the legs churning out in the middle of the ocean at this point keep your head above water uh, there have been worse ideas and their commissioners brought them to the table already this one can at least survive considering too that we don't have guidelines for the non uh, if there's not a uh, autonomous five for the college football playoff automatic qualifiers and in birth into what we're going to see over the next two years, not this year, but moving forward. And that's where you get the money split where each power five conference gets $80 million over those two seasons. Whenever we expand to 12 in the college football playoff, that is essential to trying to keep the PAC 12 somewhat relevant over the next couple of seasons while they wait on that money, if they can do it. I don't Well, You know who's going to not be keeping them essential? George Klyavkov. It'll be Oliver Luck doing that. And if Oliver Luck pulls this off. I just I think it's funny that he's still technically employed, that no one's even talking about the elephant in the room, that he's got to be out. Lane Kiffin wants minority coaches to have more opportunities. Lane Kiffin was given a great opportunity, too. We hit that first coming up on Hot Mike.